If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 229 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Andy Hicken, Vice President of Technology Solutions for Web Courseworks. Listeners may recognize Web Courseworks as the makers of the Course Stage Learning Management System, but they are also the publishers of the annual e-learning hype curve. And that hype curve was the main focus of your conversation with Andy, right, Jeff? That's right. Web Courseworks has been issuing annual e-learning predictions for many years now, but a few years ago, they took a cue from the technology hype cycle model developed by Gartner, a very large technology research and consulting firm, and began using that model as a lens for their annual predictions. So we talk a bit about how that model works and then dig into some of the actual predictions that are part of the 2020 hype curve. Now, Andy is a very sharp guy who's deeply immersed in what's going on in the world of learning and technology. So his perspective and the perspective offered by the e-learning hype curve are really valuable. For listeners looking for useful insights into how use of learning technologies is likely to evolve over the course of this year, this is really a must-listen episode, in my opinion. Well, Jeff, you and I, of course, issue our own predictions every year, and we'll be sure to link to the most recent of those predictions in the show notes. But I know I'm always fascinated to learn what others are thinking about, especially someone like Andy, who, as you note, is so deeply immersed in learning technologies as part of his day-to-day work. Now, what reflection questions did you come up with for this episode? And as a reminder, listeners, you can find the reflection questions in the show notes available at leadinglearning.com slash episode 229. Well, first, Andy and the Web Courseworks team feel a sort of through line for this year's hype curve is automation. So basically, the influencers that they track to come up with the items on the curve seem to be grappling with the consequences of automation for learning. So a question to ask is, how are you as a learning business grappling with automation? What steps have you taken or might you take to account for automation in your learning business strategy? And then next, we talk about the third area of the hype curve, the trough of disillusionment, as often the place where people start rolling up their sleeves and doing the work to make previously overhyped parts of the curve pay off. This year, gamification, badging, and microlearning are the trends in the trough. So to what extent is your learning business now rolling up its sleeves and practically engaging with those trends? I think those questions that you offer, Jeff, make it clear that predictions like those in the hype curve can be put to very practical use in informing both strategy and operations for learning businesses. So with that, let's go ahead and roll the interview with Andy Hickett. Hello and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Jeff Cobb and today I'm joined by Andy Hicken, who is the Vice President of Technology Solutions for Web Courseworks. That's a new title for Andy, so I'm hoping to hear more about what it involves. But first and foremost, we are here to talk about the e-learning hype curve, which I describe as an analysis and a set of predictions that Andy and the folks at Web Courseworks have released annually for a number of years now. And we're going to talk about that uh, hype curve, what it looks like for 2020. But first, Andy, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be here. Well, I'm really thrilled to have you here. Uh, it's, it's such a great topic uh, to cover, to talk about the, the hype that's out there. That's always a, a good thing <laughs> to focus in on every year, particularly in, a, in an area like e-learning and learning and technology. But um, I noted uh, uh, in the intro that, that you have a new title, or I understand it's a new title. Can, yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about the, the work that, that you do and will be doing and, and, and what WebCourseWorks does in, in general? Sure. Uh, well, WebCourseWorks is a learning technology company. Uh, we focus on learning businesses doing continuing education and professional development. The majority of our customers are associations, um, and we do uh, offer a learning management system called Course Stage. So uh, that's um, uh, so. So to get to your question about my my new role here, so I'm. Uh, moving into this position as vice president of technology solutions, that means I'm going to focus more on 
technological innovation, uh, product development, and on uh, thought leadership um, at WebCourseWorks. So uh, I've been very, very closely involved with um, our learning management system product. I'm going to continue to have oversight over that. I'm continue, going to continue to be the product owner, um, but uh, able to focus a little bit more on innovation now. All right. So a chance to, to think bigger, potentially. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Come up with some maybe some new ideas, some some new products for the the company, and um, and and I mean in terms of uh, thinking big and just thinking about uh, technology and, and and learning. I know you've been involved uh, with both for for quite a, a while now. Um, and a few years ago, uh, I don't. You'll have to tell me if, if if you were the source of it or sort of how this idea of of doing this hype curve uh, came about. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know? what this is, what this hype curve is, and kind of the, yeah. the, the history and, and why you started doing that a few years back? Yeah, well, the history is that we've, we've always done, or, you know, for years, we've done a, an annual e-learning predictions uh, blog post was how it started. You could probably find archives going back, I don't know, probably 10 years of our e-learning predictions um, about four years ago, four or five years ago, we came up with the idea of connecting it to the uh, hype cycle, um, which is a concept that comes from the consultancy Gartner. Uh, and we can talk, I'm sure you want to talk about that a little bit to establish what that means. And um, then about, I think about, I guess it was only last year or was it a year and a half ago, um, we uh, started to actually be able to gather hard data instead of kind of, um, you know, sticking our fingers up in the wind and uh, giving our best guess as to what direction things were going. So uh, the change we've made in the last year or so is that we're pulling in data from Twitter uh, in an automated way. So we basically have a list of influencers in the e-learning space um, who we can pull out, pull in all their tweets, uh, create a giant data set, and then we can use some code to process that data set and identify trends um, in what they are tweeting about. So we, we hope we're trying to get our, <laughs> have our fingers on the hype or the buzz that's out there. Anyway. Got it. Got it. And so, uh, say a little bit more about, um, Gartner's, uh, approach here. You, as you said, yeah. you, you know, you've picked up on that concept from them. Um, I'm sure, uh, your, your methodology, I think is a, a little different at this point, but, uh, I mean, why did why did they come up with that in the first place? And and can you talk about sort of what are what are the parts of that that hype cycle? Yeah, well, you know, Gartner is a general technology consultancy, and I think they really captured something that you notice if you follow technology, which is that um, there's uh, when a new term comes along, it tends to go through a certain kind of a certain set of stages, I guess you could call it, uh, where at first. At first, nobody really knows about it, and it's just kind of whispered about, um, you know, a few kind of cognoscenti are throwing, are using the term. Um, and then people start to hear it, and they start to get really excited. They hear a few things, they get a few notions about it, uh, about this technology, and they start to um, think that it might be a solution to uh, whatever problems they're facing in their work. So uh, the technology, the hype around the term starts to starts to move upward fast. Uh, so you could think about even, you know, something we would all remember, like the hype around the internet um, in the mm -hmm. 90s. Uh, at first, you didn't know what it was. Um, and then before you knew it, there were Apple commercials on TV sort of suggesting that it was going to bring global peace and understanding. Uh, and um, everybody was talking about the internet constantly. Uh, and it kind of reaches, reaches this peak uh, of, of expectations. Um, and then people start to get disillusioned uh, and um, start to sort of realize that the technology maybe wasn't everything that they thought it was going to be. Um, there tend to be some sort of, uh, you know, maybe unfair complaints about the technology in many cases, uh, that it wasn't solving these problems, that it maybe wasn't intended to solve in the first place. Mm. Uh, and then people start to finally figure out what the technology is Um and uh, they start to get what Gartner calls enlightened about that technology. Uh, so they um, figure out what its, what its actual uses are. Uh, and the, the complaints tend to sort of 
um, become more muted at that point. Uh, and then the technology just kind of fades into the background. And um, what Gartner, Gartner's theory is that people talk about the technology most um, when it's at that period of highest ex- expectations. So they came up with this kind of funny terminology for that. They call that the peak of inflated expectations. Um, so they're built into their theory. And I think this is right, is that there will always be inflated expectations around any technology that um, sort of takes off. Then that period where people are complaining, they they call that the, the trough of disillusionment. So that's the point uh, you know, at the bottom of the hype cycle when people actually, um, and you can see this, they, they kind of stop talking about the technology The the influencers tend to stop talking about it. Um, maybe because they don't want their reputations to be sort of hitched to this technology that's got a lot of negative PR around it at the moment. Or the, or they can even start getting kind of snarky about it. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, they snark about it quite a bit for a while and then they just stop talking about it. Then so, they stop um, talking, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, then you start to see uh, people talking more about the technology again, and that uh, lines up with uh, once the technology started to go into use and people started to have practical experience with using it, they start to, oh, understand, like, oh, this is, that's what this thing is for. So it wasn't that um, thing I thought it was, you know, a year ago, but now I see that it's, now I see what it's actually useful for. And they'll actually start talking about it again a bit more. You can actually see that in the Twitter data, amazingly. Uh, And then it reaches that kind of period of productivity where um, the technology is just being used and it just kind of stays at this constant level of of usage, maybe declining very slowly over time as it eventually, you know, ages out and starts to be replaced by something else. Right. Okay, so you have this sort of you know, steep upward slope at, at first, as you said, something like the internet, you know, a few people know about it first and then, you know, mm-hmm. builds up, you know, to a, a whole bunch of people knowing about it, talking about it. And then, like you said, uh, that, that's kind of the, a little bit inflated there. And then it mm-hmm. goes back down, get into that trough of disillusionment, and then it slowly kind of comes back up and, and sort of levels out um, yeah. and sort of becomes a, a part of the, the, the life, a part of work, whatever the, the case might be. And so you look at this in the context of uh, e-learning, uh, learning technologies, and um, and I think it's interesting that you, you note that you've, you've started, um, started looking at Twitter data uh, mm-hmm. on this as a way to, to track it, and, and you're actually... You're you're really seeing this track and and the Twitter data data among the um I guess the the influencers that you're you're following. Yeah, um, we just look at we have a set of now we're up to about sixty I think it's sixty one influencers. We sort of seeded it with um, some just kind of household names in the industry, and then wrote a little algorithm to find out who they were uh, retweeting and quoting on on Twitter. Um, and that expanded it out to a group of about, you know, yeah, 61 influencers. Um, and then what we track is whether they use a given term in a month. So we're just looking at the percentage of, uh, of those influencers who use a term like, say, like let's take XAPI, which is, you know, a technology in, in the e-learning space. We look at whether they've used that term each month. And uh, we, we actually plot that out. Um, if you look at our blog post about it, um, you can see a plot where uh, we have little black dots on there that just signify the percentage, show you the percentage of influencers who use that term each month going back about two years now. Uh, and if you look, um, if you scroll down a bit and find that, find XAPI, um, you can sort of, you can see how it uh, was very high, came down, um, and then went, went back up a little bit. And, and we will, uh, of course, link to all of this in the show notes because you do have uh, you have this all laid out very nicely and the, the graphs here, and you can see all of this happening, which is just uh, really really fascinating. And so maybe maybe we can uh, actually dig in a little bit now to to each of the the five areas that are part of this this hype cycle, and we won't be able to discuss everything in, in detail. Um, but we can at least touch on each one and, and let folks know what's there, and then of course they can go dig in. Uh, much more deeply by by visiting uh, your website and, and getting the materials there. So the the first one, this um, this I guess where you start the upward slope, um, basically mm-hmm. is uh, labeled uh, innovation trigger trends. Yeah. 
Um, and that's the stage so where, where the term might be just newly coined, um, or kind of in some cases sort of rediscovered from, you know, decades ago, but often it's a newly coined term um, and people are just starting to use it. Well, and it's interesting when I looked at this, uh, this year and I'll, I'll tick off what you've got there this year, you've got learning culture, mm-hmm. uh, future of work, digital transformation, social learning, and then workflow slash flow of work. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I'd be interested to hear from anybody <laughs> listening if you want to come and comment uh, on the, the the show notes for this episode, how much you're actually hearing those terms, or you can use our Twitter feed uh, for doing that uh, as well, or, or uh, tweet out to um, uh, uh, Leading Learning with that, that hashtag to let us know. But it's funny, as I was hearing those, and this may just be that I'm sort of in the position of having the curse of knowledge uh, on this, <laughs> that, that I felt like I was already tired of those terms. Um, but, but, the, but those are the ones that, um, that, that you're seeing um, coming up uh, at this point that, uh, that you know, more people are tweeting about, more people are, are, are writing about at this point. Yeah, and I, I agree with you to an extent. I mean, a term like learning culture, I mean, that's something that's been thrown around for a long time. Um, but you can see it's, it's very clear that, uh, the, the, uh, the upward trend in the, in the use of those terms. So, um, they're still at the point where they're, they're, you know, certainly there were, you're probably in the like 5% of people who used the term two years ago, Jeff, but now it's up to, up to 20% of our, of our data set, which is, which is pretty getting pretty high. Um, I say when it gets to 25%, that's usually where most terms peak. So, Again, that's the number of influencers using the term on Twitter in a given month. So that's a pretty high level um, of yeah. usage for for those terms. And yeah, no, I, and, I, and I find that fascinating because, you know, like you said, I think I think I'm probably too close to it. So it, it, it's it's useful for me to to see this plotted out and realize, wow, we still have a ways to go on this. Basically, <laughs> well, think of who you are. I mean, you're a person who hosts a podcast about trends and well, that, <laughs> that's learning. True. That's so. true. <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely among the cognoscenti. Well, tell me, one of the ones you had um, listed there was was social learning, and that that one definitely piqued my interest, um, mostly because it feels like a blast from the past. But yes, at the same does. time, <laughs> I, I do I do feel like I I mean I myself have become much more interested in social learning again recently, mm-hmm. and I'm not even mm-hmm. I'm not even quite sure why, other than it suddenly seems very very relevant again. Yeah. So what what, oh, what, what are you it? hearing or seeing about it? <laughs> I mean, that was exactly my thought because I remember writing, you know, blog posts and instructional design documents about social learning 15 years ago. Um, but it seems like what's happening, it, it uh, I, I think there are a few different things happening. Um, first of all, uh, there are workplace technologies that um, are coming into really widespread usage that seem to facilitate a new kind of social learning. So I'm thinking of Slack, Slack uh, and yeah. other kind of um, instant messaging or work workplace chatting uh, tools and collaboration tools um, that are just prevalent um, in, you know, across uh, corporate America or, you know, global corporations. And I think that um, the learning and development people are finding that um, they are, are looking at those technologies and the usage and seeing that as a new type of social learning. Um, mm. So there's a real emphasis in the hype around social learning nowadays and the articles that are published about it on mentoring and coaching. So it's a different, maybe a different emphasis from what it was 15 years ago. Like I, 15 years ago, it was more of sort of simulating the student to student interaction of the traditional classroom. So it was discussion forums and comment threads, and it was maybe more influenced by Facebook or something like that. Um, nowadays it's more about, uh, people having a real close personal interaction with a mentor or a coach. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what's new about social learning this time around. And then the other thing I would say is interesting. Yeah. Um, it is. And, and the other thing I think that's changing here is um, there's uh, all, all of the people that this whole 
group of, of, of influencers, they're thinking about how uh, their capacity as, as, you know, fundamentally what would traditionally been called trainers um, or nowadays it's called the learning and development capacity in a, in an organization, um, how they need to respond to automation in the workplace. So um, the idea that any given skill set that can kind of be documented and learned by a computer is, is going to eventually um, be taken over by a computer. So what does that mean for the people who train humans? Um, and they're coming up this whole set of trends here uh, that's rising, that's um, you know sloping upwards right now. The innovation trigger trends, future of work, learning culture, uh, digital transformation. They're all to some extent talking about that automation trend, and they're trying to think of ways that um, learning can be more agile, uh, so that people can pick up skills quickly maybe not become the absolute masters or experts of those skills that they would have become, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, but instead pick them up quickly, do them for a while. And then once they get automated, move on to the next thing. And I think social yeah. learning is just seen as being that kind of more informal, agile, flexible learning um, that will allow for that, that kind of uh, learning to happen in the workplace. If you need to deliver agile, flexible learning to the workplace, check out our sponsor for this quarter. WebCourseWorks is a leading learning technologies and consulting company that is forging a path of innovation in the e-learning industry. The company's experiences and expertise guide its partners to become the leading providers of education in their fields. WebCourseWorks channels organization learning efforts to deliver on the promise of revolutionary performance improvement. Course Stage, the learning management system from WebCourseWorks, is built for organizations and professional development initiatives. It enables organizations to customize learning experiences, track users' success, and make data-driven decisions. Course Stage LMS is designed specifically to handle continuing education and professional development activities for organizations who want to grow their learning business. Access a demonstration of the Course Stage LMS as well as other valuable webinars from WebCourseWorks at leadinglearning.com slash WCW. And now back to the interview as Jeff and Andy wrap up discussion of the peak of inflated expectations and move on to the trough of disillusionment. Yeah, I, I think that was a great observation um, in, in your, your writing on this, that that through thread of automation. And um, yeah, it does seem like, you know, I, I've been thinking of it in terms of social learning and also just in terms of um, community, uh, which, you know, has social learning at, at its core. But um, that that really is what's providing the agility, the flexibility, um, potentially, you know, to to be able to, to think and act and create in ways that it's going to be it's going to be difficult, at least you know, within our lifetimes, for for machines, for computers to ever really take over, um, and yeah. to be able to automate that. So that's right. Yep. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the um, innovation trigger trend. So that sort of you know, it's starting to slope upward. It's it's building um, some some buzz. Um, and uh, we said, you know, that's learning culture, future of work, digital transformation, social learning, flow of work. But then we have this uh, peak of inflated expectations. Um, mm -hmm. And this is the stuff that maybe is, at this point, overhyped, uh, I, mm -hmm. I guess. And uh, we're probably, and there's going to be heading towards that trough of uh, a disillusionment soon. Um, so there you've got, um, uh, ironically enough, podcasts, um, <laughs> yep. le learning experience or LX or learning experience design is probably buried in there too, LXD, um, virtual reality, design thinking, Artificial intelligence, analytics. I made I made the comment on the former set that um, I was starting to feel kind of tired of some of those words. I know people are feeling tired <laughs> of some of uh, some of these right. phrases. I mean, what what should we expect from from this group? You know, over the course of the next year, they they're all just going to plummet down into that that trough of disillusionment. Well, what I've seen is things go at different rates. So some, I, you know, maybe there's an I mean, these terms have inherent meanings, um, maybe some like in, inherent levels of usefulness, uh, and and some of them will probably have more staying power at the peak um, than others do. So, like I'd look at artificial intelligence has been used at really high levels for 
um, you know, like almost a year now, if you look at the, at the plot. Um, and it, it just is a, a real important trend in technology right now. And people are just going to keep yeah. talking about it. Now there are, it, you can also see if you look at the plot that there's a little bit of trend downward. It seems like um, if we, we provide links to articles that we thought were useful on these topics and our, you know, on our site and um, you can see some of the disillusionment starting to creep in, um, you know, mainly, I mean, what, the obvious thing with artificial intelligence is kind of like the concern that there are going to be unintended consequences that the systems you build with artificial intelligence are going to do things that, um, you know, you'd rather they didn't do. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are, um, you know, articles about risks and concerns around artificial intelligence. There are also articles that are just asking if it's overhyped, um, which is real characteristic of what happens when something gets to these levels of hype. Uh, so, but I mean, artificial intelligence is going to be with us for a long time. We're going to keep talking about it. Um, then there are terms like that are maybe more hazy, like design thinking um, has been, right. you know, discussed a lot and, and, you know, it's maybe useful as a um, a reminder that when you uh, create a learning experience um, or some sort of learning, you know, product, uh, you are always doing some some kind of design. It's maybe a reminder to step back and try to think like a designer. Um, but it's also like, you know, a pretty easy term. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, putting my pundit hat on, I would sort of expect that one to drop off more quickly than something like artificial intelligence. Yeah, I think that's, uh, probably spot on design thinking, learning experience. Um, I, and I, I don't want to sound dismissive of this because we actually, we actually talked a lot about learning experience at, uh, at our recent, um, virtual event and it was, and it was extremely useful, you know, so I was gl- very, very glad to have that content. It was excellent content, but you know, on the one hand, it, it's great to talk about uh, learning experience design. On the on the other hand, you know, shouldn't we have always been doing this? Isn't isn't this <laughs> isn't this what it's really about? You know, <laughs> so yeah. it, it there's that kind of tension, and uh, and I think as you said, you know, trend trends that sort of have that basis to them are probably going to drop off uh, quite a bit more quickly than 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 something like artificial intelligence, which does clearly feel like yes, that's gonna that's kind mm-hmm. of the internet of our, of our age. You know, it's right. uh, it's it's yeah. going to have that big impact for a long time. So right. Well, great. So that's um, that's up there at the the peak of inflated expectations, and then then of course you get to the trough of disillusionment <laughs> and uh, yeah. the uh, the three so you have listed here. I, I, trough of disillusionment. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I know what is uh, identified here is going to be familiar to listeners. You have got uh, micro learning, uh, which I feel like we've been talking about for a decade now. Um, <laughs> gamification and badges down in the trough of disillusionment. And, and I, I wanted to ask about that because um, I, I, under, I definitely understand why these are down in the trough of disillusionment. But on the other hand, in sort of the reality of the day-to-day, at least in my world, and I'm, I'm going to bet this may be true in your world. I'm, I'm interested to hear if it is or not. People are still talking about these things an awful yes, lot. They're, they're very absolutely. concerned about whether they can do them or not. Yeah, I you know I maybe I'm a contrarian, but I always want to stick up for the terms once they hit the trough of disillusionment, you know, and, and point out that there was something valuable there um, in the concept, or there continues to be something valuable in the concept. And then also there's the difference between the kind of professional influencer um, who's really who we're tracking here, uh, and then the um, the practitioner uh, who's who's not as concerned about um, kind of, kind of hitching their wagon to, you know, exciting trends, but is rather trying to solve problems. Um, and that's exactly what the kind of term you would expect to find at this point in the hype curve, where it's it's the hype is dying down. Um, people have been, you know, like think of micro learning. There's been all kinds of people making fun of the term micro learning. I've made fun of it of the term micro micro learning. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's still, uh, it's got this really valuable concept, a uh, really valuable, um, uh, logic to it, which is helpful to practitioners. Um, so yeah, you would expect 
terms at this point in the trend to start to to be being put into application. Um, usage is starting to people are starting to experience the actual usage of these these concepts or yeah. trends or technologies. So yeah, I think that's what you're seeing. And I mean, I would point yeah. out badges like badges is you know almost flatlining in terms of the hype. Um, but I I get many more inquiries about badges now than from you know actual practitioners customers I bet, yeah. um, than yeah. I, than I did two years ago. Well, and I love the way you've characterized this about um, like this is this is where. The, the trough of disillusionment, and, and maybe it should be the, the trench of disillusionment because it's the people in the trenches. They're they're rolling yeah. up their sleeves now and actually right. trying to get work done around these um, concepts. So it's no longer mm-hmm. the theorists, you know. It's no longer the you know quote thought leadership. It's it's the people who actually have to do stuff with these things yep. in, in their jobs, and now they're making right. that happen. So love that. Mm-hmm. So that's that that trough of disillusionment. Right from now on, I think I'm going to think of it as down in the trenches of uh, yeah, down in the trenches. Exactly. Um, I mean, that's it. Shouldn't be. It, it doesn't mean bad idea. It more means you know, idea that's yeah. entering into use, basically. Yeah, got it. And then we have um, the slope of enlightenment. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're starting to get some some actual traction with putting it to, to use here and. Um, what you have listed here this year is just one is uh, yeah. the experience API or XAPI, um, mm-hmm. which I, 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 I definitely have the sense that the XAPI is finally has some traction. Um, yeah. and that seems to be what this suggests. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. And, um, it's, uh, it's at, at the point where, um, you, you know, you know, you've, I'm sure, worked on XAPI projects and, or, or know it, or at least, you know, had customers who were using XAPI or, or worked with people, you know, colleagues who were, who used XAPI, um, were in the same situation. Uh, and it's now at the point where, um, there's, because there's more usage out there, uh, even people who don't use it are starting to have a better understanding of what it's for. So I think the idea that it was, um, the next SCORM is starting to uh, kind of die out. That was sort of, that was a hype idea <laughs> about, a, about mm. XAPI. Um, it was a simple, easy to say kind of marketing line about XAPI, but it, it was a little bit, uh, a little bit of a non sequitur when you actually got into XAPI and you saw that it, it was used for, it's used for something else, something which is really great and needed, which is kind of a point bringing like big data approaches and data analytics to, to online learning. Um, it's a technology for that. Uh, it's not meant, you know, for doing the same things that SCORM does. So I think that's the kind of enlightenment that we're seeing around, around XAPI right now. Right, right. And I, I had raised in our exchange before this, and this, this may get a little, little too techie or a little too geeky, but I, I was wondering about um, CMI5 and, and yeah. uh, what, you're, what you're hearing or seeing about I, that at this point. Well, I went and looked it up. Um, in in other words, I looked at our data set and I found out of um, millions of individual words that we've tracked. So we take, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of tweets now in this data set and uh, our, my numbers might be out. It, we have maybe tens of thousands of individual tweets. I forget exactly, but it, it works out to about 2 million words that were used in those tweets. Um, and I found... Uh, hold on, I just lost it. Something like 12 uses of CMI, um, CMI5. And it was it was all from one of our influencers. It was from Meg Torrance, who's uh, really clued in to, to sort of, to XAPI. I mean, that's, um, okay. yeah. So she's very close to the, the world, these um, e-learning technology standards uh, and, and, you know, she's uh, tweeted a bit about CMI5 as well. Right. Um, okay. So I don't know why that is. I, I don't know. I'd ask you, Jeff. I mean, you seem to be having, yeah, you might have, you probably have more experience with it than I do. Um, do you have any guesses? Well, I just, I, you know, I, I don't, it took so long for, at least in, in, in my world, for XAPI to even have any traction. And as you said, XAPI isn't really, isn't really the next SCORM. I mean, in many ways, CMI5 is, 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 going to play more of that that role that sort of communication protocol again not to get too too geeky or, or techy here mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it you know i under i understand it as sort of 
being that kind of SCORM component that would go along uh, with an, uh, an XAPI. Yeah. And, um, you know, for whatever re- I think probably SCORM is so entrenched at, at this point and everybody's thinking, well, you know, I just I don't want to have to make this switch if I, <laughs> if I don't have to. Um, so it's just going to take a while to, to, to get there. Um, but, I, you know, I, I guess my, my expectation is we're going we're gonna to hear more about it uh, over the course of the, the next year or two at least. Yeah. So we'll we'll see, we'll see if it shows up 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 there at the uh, in the the first section we the covered the, the, uh, the slope of <laughs> uh, the slope of yeah. Hey, well you're well, in great. the um, you're you're in the the influencer set yourself, so uh, you could you could just tweet about it a little bit and you. That's, that, that's right. I'll just I'll send out a few tweets with, with CMI five in it. Yeah, right. and, uh, <laughs> Meg, Meg and I will be out there uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> making it happen. All right. All right, and so then finally we get to this um, the, the the last part of the cycle, uh, the plateau of productivity, and um, you know this is when we're sort of back to the point where it's 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 kind of risen back up again. It's it's not the original hype, but it's uh, you know it's it's a thing and it's a solid mm-hmm. thing um, at this point. And and uh, the one you put in here for 2020 is mobile learning. Um, which we definitely feels like we've seen mobile learning go, go through the cycle, um, definitely. And, and so at this point, we're sort of uh, plateauing out on it. Yeah, I mean, this is the term where this is the point where it's just kind of in the background, right? It's just it's sort of assumed. Um, and, and so I kind of moved some stuff off to the, you know, like in the, in the past, I've had MOOCs, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just decided it was time to stop adding them to the end of the list and just <laughs> say, you know, they're not, they're not hyped anymore. They're just, they're kind of part of the background of the industry and yeah. mobile learning is clearly that's the case. And People I'm are wondering again, to learn on their phones. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm wondering again, this is kind of the uh, perspective of your, I mean, you're working with organizations who are delivering learning out. So I don't, I don't know how much data you have on this from, from that or otherwise, but just in terms of kind of the actual end users really using mobile learning. Because, I mean, we have, we've talked to the organization after organization where they're concerned about it. They want to be able to deliver mobile learning experiences. They're convinced that, you know, that's what their learners want. But I have to admit, I've been less than convinced that um, that many people, particularly in this whole sort of continuing education, lifelong learning world we're in, um, I haven't been convinced that that many people are actually taking advantage of mobile learning outside of maybe the healthcare space. I, I think probably there it, mm-hmm. it's, it's common, but what, what I mean, I may be completely off. It's not like I don't really have any data on this. So I'm wondering what your perspective is. I, I think there's a pretty stable fraction of users and I don't, I don't know exactly numerically what it is, but mm. um, I think there's a pretty stable fraction of users who expect to be able to access that stuff that's on the internet on their phones <laughs> yeah. um, or on a tablet. Uh, and um, that's basically sort of the background assumption, you know, in our work that uh, we're, we're going to have to support um, a mobile version of, of the learning experience. Um, there's certainly, you know, there's all kinds of complexity to it, obviously, like certain formats don't work as well, uh, as, as mobile for, formats. It's probably best for like those micro learning type interactions, you know, who wants to take a right. hour long course on their phone, much less like a multi-week course. Um, and there's also the technological side of it that, you know, some of the content is <clears throat> still not playing that well on phones. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, in, in my experience, what? it seems like, you know, an assumption. And so I guess I'm just talking about accessing the same content that's accessible through your desktop or laptop browser on your phone. That's an ex- expectation. I mean, if yeah. you want to talk about apps, you know, specifically designed apps for mobile learning. Yeah. That's something that not a reorganization is doing for sure. I mean, that's still yeah. kind of almost exceptional, I'd say. Um, sort of a special case are the apps that some of the big learning management systems deployed a few years ago because they couldn't get their main browser uh, Mm. based interface to play well on a phone. So they came up with an app to kind of um, as a stopgap solution 
uh, but like in terms of apps that are designed to do something specific on a phone, like, you know, take advantage of the camera or the GPS capabilities or, you know, those are telephony, those, those kinds of things. Um, that is more rare. I agree with that for sure. Yeah. It's still not there. Well, and I think you're right to, to, to use the word expectations because that, that drives so much of this. It is absolutely true that, uh, the expectation of being able to access, uh, all of that content, uh, mobily, um, that that's there and that has to be served mm-hmm. whether the reality of people actually using it in that way is, is there yet or not. Um, right. so it, it's a, it's a legitimate thing. Well, so we, we've walked through the, 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 the five areas there then. Um, so the, uh, the innovation trigger, the, the peak of, uh, inflated expectations, that trough or trench of disillusionment, the slope of enlightenment, and now this plateau of productivity. And, and again, we will link to this and I, you know, anybody's listening, definitely go check, uh, all of this out. There's just some wonderful material to go with it. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, you generate this and, and put this out to the world, you and the, the, the team at WebCourseWorks, and it's a wonderful resource for folks to have. Um, is there anything out of this that you feel is particularly impacting you right now in your work? I mean, which of these, you know, trends uh, really matter most to, to you right now? I'm just scrolling back through it real quick. So um, analytics uh, is just a, a constant area of discussion in our, mm. in our practice. So people wanting to have, um, have more <laughs> ways of, uh, of analyzing data and visualizing it, doing the kind of thing that you see in, in this blog post, but with their, the data that's coming out of their online learning programs. I mean, that is just like, it's really prevalent in, in our practice right now. Um, so, uh, people hope to get that kind of analytics from their learning management system. Um, also, uh, our customers, um, setting up or expanding data warehouses and making more use of business intelligence to build dashboards that, um, show them how their membership is, uh, interacting with the organization, including the learning they're doing with the organization, that kind of thing is just, is really prevalent. Um, and then, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, badges are starting to tick up. Um, it's something we've, uh, we've been trying to push for years. We've been trying to get people to do badges, badges. Um, and it's, it's actually starting to go into usage more. Um, so I think there are more learners out there who know that they could get a badge um, because they've had experience with it, and there are more organizations that are starting to be uh, think about badges as a kind of nice complement or even replacement for the traditional CE certificate. Um, so mm-hmm. instead of instead of or in addition to giving a certificate at the end of a learning experience, you also give the user this digital badge that is graphical, can be traced back to the system that gave the that. Uh, that awarded it. So it's verifiable, uh, and can be even transferred between systems, um, using some cool technology that's out there in the space. So yeah, those would be the two I'd highlight. Interesting. Well, I feel like we're definitely, definitely seeing similar things. Certainly that, uh, that emphasis on, um, analytics, uh, dashboards, you know, really being able to, to make good use of your data. That's, we've seen that be a lot bigger and, um, and we do continue to see a lot of interest in micro learning, a lot of interest in badges, less, less so in gamification though. I think, um, Mm. you know, people are maybe more thinking of it as, you know, just leveraging tools that are built into their development, uh, uh, tool set, um, not Mm -hmm. making as big a deal out of the the whole concept of, of, of gamification these days. But, well, Andy, this has been uh, a great conversation. Uh, you know, love that you uh, do this work in, in the first place. Uh, yeah. And that you, you know, focused in on using that, um, that Gartner as a, uh, an, an inspiration um, for creating, you know, annual knowledge that's just of, of so much value to uh, the, this whole world that we work in. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for, for coming on the show to, to talk about it. Um, before we start to wrap up, though, sure, I, I do want to uh, turn... Thank you for having me, and it's always great talking to you about these things. So, anyway. 
Well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> hope, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll not be the, the, the last time. Um, right. but, um, I, I did want to make sure the be, before I, uh, close off this, this discussion that, um, we talk a little bit about your own personal learning because this is something we do on the, uh, the, the leading learning podcast, kind of a, a standing thing that, uh, we like to know about, um, you know, our, our, our guests' own lifelong uh, learning experiences. And so we have sort of a standard question that, um, that we've been asking people for a while now. And so at some point, we will actually do some data analysis on this, I think, to, uh, <laughs> to see, see how this plots out. Uh, we've gotten well over 100 answers at this point, uh, probably 150 at this point. So, um, but the, the question focuses, again, on, on your own personal learning and, and specifically what is one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Wow. Um, okay. So I can't count formal education. I can't count like a degree program because I am, uh, I, I am engaged in probably three different levels of lifelong learning right now. I'm, oh, yeah. I am in a, I'm in a data science online program that partly and you know, that's the reason why um, we moved to this data driven direction for the hype curve project was that, um, you know, I could build it myself and then uh, get the oh, data cool. in front there. So, um, but that is a, that is a formal graduate program. It's online. It's through the, um, through a, you know, university of Wisconsin extension, basically uh, for informal um, I would, I would say, uh, one of the, one of the best, um, experiences I had was, uh, was on Coursera. So, um, you, you know, Coursera, I'm sure, or it's a, it's oh, a yeah. massive open online course platform, a MOOC platform. Um, and, uh, I've, you know, like many people who do a lot of lifelong learning, I've tried and tried a number of Coursera courses completed a handful of them. Um, but by far the best one I had was, uh, it was about, um, it was a programming course, uh, and it, uh, it was taught through Rice University. Um, and it was learning how to, uh, it was, uh, game development in Python. Uh, and what was great about it was, um, and what distinguished it from other, some of the other MOOCs I've taken was that they had a really good design for being able to get human feedback on your um, your work in this uh, course that had tens of thousands of people registered for it. So mm-hmm. obviously the you know the professors, the teaching assistants were not were not looking at everybody's work, um, but they had uh, they had a system where uh, essentially a peer review system where you would get um, matched up with five other students and uh, to be able to complete the course, each of those students would have to look at and give feedback to the work of other students in the course. Um, and it actually worked quite well, I thought. I mean, it really motivated me to uh, try hard on the projects in the course for some reason. I don't know why, but <laughs> having five anonymous people look closely at my work made it made a difference to me. Um, Interesting. And uh yeah, I mean, it really showed to me the value of those kind of peer review type experiences. It was a good social learning um, experience. Well, excellent, and and I do I, I love the fact that you you know are doing this program with Wisconsin that, that's tying into you know what you've been able to do with the the hype curve and with other you know data initiatives there. So. Um, you know, I suppose one of the answers to the whole since finishing your formal education is that uh, you can just say, I, I haven't finished my formal education. I'm still, I'm still at it. So. I finished it there and I decided to go back for more, which is, you know. Yeah, there you go. Well, great. Well, thanks so much, Andy. Now, if um, if listeners, you know, want to learn more about you, maybe connect with you and, and of course, you know, find out more about uh, the hype curve, uh, wh- where should they go to, to do those things? Just go to webcourseworks.com. So that's W-E-B-C-O-U-R-S-E-W-O-R-K-S.com, webcourseworks. Um, the hype curve itself, there's right in the middle at the top, it says resource center. And if you pull down that menu, you'll see the e-learning hype curve in the, in the menu there. Um, and then there are links there to learn more about me. Um, 
And you can find me on LinkedIn. I think you'll just find that from there um, and on Twitter, et cetera. Well, great. Well, Andy, thanks so much for being a guest on the Leading Learning Podcast. Thanks for having me. That concludes the interview with Andy Hicken. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 229. And the show notes will include the reflection questions. First, how are you as a learning business grappling with automation? What steps have you taken or might you take to account for automation in your learning business strategy? And second, to what extent is your learning business rolling up its sleeves and practically engaging with the trends in the trough of disillusionment, namely gamification, badging, and microlearning? When you check out the show notes, you'll also see the various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but even more importantly, reviews and ratings help this podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And we'd be grateful if you'd check out our sponsor for this quarter. Access a demonstration of the course stage LMS and other valuable webinars from WebCourseWorks at leadinglearning.com slash WCW. Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leading learning on each of those channels. Wherever, however you do it, please follow us and help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.